When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. coaching was in plain sight it was lying there a lot of people believe that it's reserved for the c-suite or for the high potentials or for critical talent no one ever thought of offering it to everyone else why did i become an executive coach i saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them that made me furious but also curious what were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. If you look on Google Trends, the word coaching has been surging in the leadership industry, particularly in the US. Management fad or effective tool? Does your company offer coaching? Once the domain of high potentials, the C-suite, were used to fix derailing bad behavior among executives, coaching has now gone mainstream. And we're witnessing an explosion in ways that you can get coached. But hold on. What does it mean to coach or to be coached? What are the benefits of coaching? What situations does it work well in? And given the growing options out there, how might you or your company leadership integrate coaching into your mix of learning, training, and development? I'm really honored and excited to discuss this topic with my guest today, Abhijit Bhattacharya, Global Career Coach at S&P Global. Abhijit is a founding member of the company's pioneering internal coaching program, which he designed, grew, and personally coaches in. And he's learned a lot. S&P's internal coaching program has coached more than 2,500 employees worldwide since its establishment in 2019. So stay tuned. If you're new or interested in receiving coaching, you'll get some thoughtful ways to assess, will coaching help you? What's the best approach to meet your needs? If you run a company or sit in leadership, you'll get some great tips on how to best set up your program. Prior to joining S&P Global, Abhijit spent more than 50 years in talent management and leadership and development, witnessing all the major trends. He is certified as an executive coach through Columbia University, the 3CP program. He's certified by the ICF, that's the gold standard in our industry, the International Coaching Federation, and licensed in all the major psychometric assessment tools. Based in Hyderabad, India, 
Abhijit has been recognized as a rising star by ICF India. He's a founder of the ICF Hyderabad chapter and serves as a global ambassador for the ICF. In his coaching, he focuses on helping people make crucial career decisions. Abhijit, pleasure to have you as a guest today. Welcome to 97% Effective. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. And excited to discuss you know, these topics with you today. Fantastic. I want to start because you love football. I mean, one of the things we like to do as coaches is, is often to get our clients to think about analogous situations. And so I'm curious, if, if you were to pick an analogy, any analogy, from the football, the soccer world, that gives us a sense of what your internal coaching program has meant to S&P, how, how would you characterize it in football terms or in, as an analogy? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I'll take you 70 years back, 1953, mm. when the Hungarian national team was the golden team, and they were on a winning spree. They had won the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki, Finland. And in 1953, they came to Wembley to play England. And interestingly, England hadn't lost a match in home soil for decades together, but in what is dubbed as the, the match of the century, England lost that match 3-6 to Hungary. Now, what really led to that sort of a result is that what was popular across the globe in terms of formation on the field was a WM formation. So what that means is it was a 3-2-2-3 formation. However, what the Hungarian national team did is they transformed it into a WW formation. And so that changed the entire game. Why I feel it is analogous to what we did with our internal coaching program was the early 2010s, the corporate of different countries and the different organizations that are out there were struggling with providing meaningful career development opportunities to their people, their employees, because the market was not the same anymore. Uh, skills had a very low shelf life. There was a lot of automation happening. And so what organizations promised to their people for a very, very long time that join us, we'll train you, and you will have a career path here, was suddenly out of order because careers were not moving in a very linear direction anymore. So that changed to organizations switching the narrative and saying that you are in charge of your career now. <laughs> but there was hardly any support with that sudden empowerment. And we all know this, Michael, that empowerment alone is not useful sometimes. Along with it needs to come enablement. So there was no enablement. Mm. And employees definitely liked that autonomy, at least in the beginning. But soon they found out they, they were out of tools or frameworks to really navigate their own careers. And so what we did was switch that M on its head and make mm. it a W. Mm. We said, well, look, I mean, of course, you know, this is great that they can choose what they want to do with their careers, but where's the support? And if we just give them that support, 
they will really take off. So it was a huge game changer. And I love that analogy back to way back, but match of the century. Those who are steeped in football will immediately understand that, but you've provided a lot of context there. And you, and you have touched on, you know, prior to that point, you had spent, you know, 15 years in learning and development. So multiple companies and touching almost every aspect, right? Training programs, hiring outside companies, assessments, delivering or facilitating yourself. And, you know, could you talk about, it sounds like, right, hey, you just shifted it on its head, but yeah. uh, a little more of the why and how and, and then what was the, the piece that enabled you to, to launch that internal coaching program? We had our chief people officer, our current chief people officer, join in 2018. And the organization was also going through some sort of transformation with her joining. And there was a previous merger that happened uh, just one and a half years back. So there was a, there was a lot of you know, transformation going on. And so when she and all of us, in fact, I joined the organization in 2018 as well, as we were talking to our people, there was one thing you know, that was coming out through various forums, through discussion forums, through our engagement survey that we run or the Pulse service that we run multiple times in a year, through other town halls and you know, all of those channels, Michael. What we were hearing is people loved the organization. They really wanted to stay. However, there was a huge but as a rejoinder to that. And that was, but well, we don't know how to navigate our careers. Uh, we feel that there is a lack of support in terms of how we advance our careers. And when I say advance, it, it was not in the terms of literal promotions or you know, getting, getting the next level or step. But it was more from the perspective of how do I take my career to the next level? Mm. How do I do something meaningful with my career? And if you look at the global data, even now, the primary reason why people leave organizations is because lack of career development. Exactly. We can believe, you know, whatever else it is, money, which is compensation, benefits, and all of that. But that's the primary reason. Survey after survey, it shows that people leave organizations because there's lack of career development. So we were hearing that and we wanted to do something about it. And so we brainstormed, you know, for, for quite a bit and said that they are in charge of their careers. We, we're telling them repeatedly that you own your career. But we haven't, you know, given them the tools that they can navigate their careers with. Where's that compass? Where's that map? Where's the vehicle which will enable them to go from point A to point B? And like I said earlier, coaching was in plain sight. It was lying there. And no one was really picking it up and offering it to them. Because like you said in the beginning, Michael, a lot of people believe that it's reserved for the C-suite or for the high potentials or for critical talent. No one ever thought of offering it to everyone else. And, and this is a critical point. I want you to just touch on that because usually it is the domain of the elite, right? The high potentials. Yeah. And in your program, I understand that anyone, anyone in the company can apply that's for the right. program. Talk about that because that's quite unique. Yes. And so when we said, you know, we wanted to support all our people, we said we'll offer it to anyone. You're so very right, you know, when you say that. 
Because why should someone be deprived? If they can get that support and make really a great move in their career, if it allows them to move closer to their aspirations and goals, we said it, they shouldn't be deprived. And uh, that, that term was also out there, democratization of coaching, taking it beyond boardrooms and you know cabins in the offices. We said we'll offer it to anyone. But not just that. We just didn't offer it to everyone globally. We also offered it with the essence of coaching because coaching is supposed to be confidential. That is where people mm -hmm. feel comfortable to be their most vulnerable selves, which is required for anyone to make some progress. So we wanted this space to be protected. And we said in an organizational setup, there are a lot of ethical dilemmas to do that. How do you report out stuff? How do you say who's been coached and what are they really asking coaching for? <laughs> or even difficult, well, if someone says, you know, what I want to do here doesn't exist here, I'm going to leave the organization, should we raise an alarm? Should we ring any bell, you know, somewhere saying, that, oh, you know, potential turnover coming your way? But I think we were very fortunate that we had the backing of the board members, the executive committee, and above all, our chief people officer, who said, as coaches, you're in service to the individuals first. So definitely, we are the ones you know, who are providing uh, this service to them and the organization is spending because we are an internal coaching team and we build internally. But they said, all the other people in this organization, whatever they're contributing, that is keeping the organization in mind or putting the organization first. Your role is to put our people first their agenda first, and you're in service to them. So we did not really have to report out individual names ever. We kept it highly confidential. We reported out only aggregate numbers. And we also helped people if they said that, I don't see my career here. We helped them in their quest of finding something that would be more meaningful for them. And that is where, Michael, I was saying that we turned the M on its head and made it a W. That's because that has been what organizations have been trying to fix. Well, how do we fix employee turnover? How do we not let our people leave? In other words, how do we hold people? Mm -hmm. And as an organization, if you take that stance, your smaller teams, lines of businesses, divisions, business units will take that stance. They will all want to hold their own people which is then really a bottleneck for internal mobility. So which means that, you know, there is a job or there is a role in that other team which suits me perfectly, and I'd enjoy doing that role, being there, exploring all the stuff there. But because of the stance that my organization and as a result, you know, my team has, I just can't make it to that point. So it is a confidential program that anyone in the company can apply for. And just to punctuate this point you talked about, right, it's not top down. So a training program would tell you what to do or move you to another organization. Just talk about how a little bit how that works as a coaching. You're facilitating, giving them resources, getting them to think about what is it they want or what, what is an 
kind of an engagement typically look like? Is this a couple sessions and it's uh, inquiry-based or what, what does that look like? Yeah, and that is, that is a really great question. So a couple of points to mention, yes, they're not being nominated by anyone. They're initiating it themselves. And if they're initiating it themselves, which means you know, there is sufficient motivation for them to do this, it's not that they've been brought here. It means they came here. And the second thing, there is no approval required for them to sign up. They don't need their manager's approval or any sort of approval. If they want, they can just sign up. And that you know, works two ways because sometimes people feel inhibited if they have to ask for approvals. And, and there could be follow-up questions to that. Why do you need this? What is it you know, that, that you're looking for and you know, stuff like that? So they don't have to explain their reason for coming here to anyone. And the other thing that, that I'd really like to mention is that we took some deviations. I, and I say deviations yeah. because there are some standard practices in the industry, right? A coaching engagement should last six months and there should be meetings every 15 days, which means 12 sessions. You know, these are packaged offerings. But we said, well, look, A, you know, we're offering this internally. And B, people know what they need. It is not for us as coaches to decide that, hey, you know what? You need 12 sessions. So they just write to a mailbox. One of the coaches, and we're four across the globe now, depending on the bandwidth or the region they're based out of and, and a lot of you know other factors, one of the coaches would reach out to them and say, please set up the first session. We will have a conversation. We'll try and clarify what would be most helpful for you. And then you can decide how long you, know, you want this to be. And no pressure. It's not that if you say, I want to do this for six months, you got to do this for six months. If you feel you've gotten where you wanted to in three months, well, that's it. And I think you know that really gave people the appetite to experiment with it. And to be honest with you, Michael, we were experimenting a little bit ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. will, will people be ready for this? Will, will they adopt you know, the, this sort of support that, that we are providing to them? So we experimented a lot. And uh, we were nimble in the moment to observe you know, how people are responding to this. What are they really utilizing this for? And we kept on reiterating our offering, or, or if you will call it our product, and we had, you know, certain dilemmas as well. For example, oh, how much information do we need during the intake process? And we said, well, you know, if we ask them to fill out a form, a very lengthy one, maybe, you know, it's a turn off. And they say, you know, I really can't explain everything on this form. I'm not just going to do this. They're just not going to utilize it. So we, we kept it as simple as possible for people to get their foot across the door, have the conversation. Because the other thing I'd also like to mention at this point, as much, and you know this, Michael, you're a coach yourself, as much as you want to explain coaching, it's very difficult. But it's so, I think, powerful to experience coaching. So we wanted people to have that experience and then determine for themselves if they wanted to do this further. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoth. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Five years in, 
2,500 individuals coached, so the session's even more, done some experimentation and iteration, you've got a lot of data. I mean, what has been the feedback or, or results? After 2,500 individuals and coaching 2,500 individuals and more than 3,700 sessions, there's one thing you know that we noticed is that there is a resounding positive response to coaching. And we came across many objections, not, you know, in, just, just from the organization, but also industry-wide, that you need a certain maturity to be, uh, you know, coached, or you need to have certain experiences to be able to appreciate coaching. And all of those myths were busted from the way, at least I experienced it, coaching uh, a large you know, chunk of these individuals. And... I'll be honest, a lot of people come in, at least initially when they start the conversation, they say, I'm looking for your advice, I'm looking for your guidance. But the moment you help them ideate for themselves, they get immersed in that ideation process. They get really, I would say, creative about generating possibilities. Hmm. And they just embrace this concept wholeheartedly and they feel so empowered as to what they can do about their own careers and things like that. But the other thing that I'd like to highlight is that, of course, you know, we make quite a bit of attempt to measure yeah. what's uh, coaching, what was success for coaching. And the one question that determines a net promoter score, which is, will you recommend this to a colleague of yours? And we don't do a scale there. We just ask them yes or no. And 97% till date have said yes. Wow. And that, I think, is a big, big success where people... And now, you know, the practice has matured. A lot of people come and tell us, well, one colleague said that this will be a great thing to do. And I have been, you know, recommended by one of my friends or something like that. So it's really... I would say very gratifying to see how they just don't use it for themselves, but they also nudge others and say, well, you know what? You might benefit from this. So, so really high net promoter scores and recommendations. So that's from the employee's point of view. Were, were there other ways you looked at this in terms of those who went through it, retention um, yeah. or uh, promotions? Just curious because you have such a large data set. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> uh, quite interesting to, to be looking at that in terms of, how effective is it, right? Imagine the CFO, right? The, the top of the company is thinking about the return on investment somehow. Other ways that you might have looked at that? Yes, yes, absolutely. And what we first you know, looked at is how many people have been able to secure a new role or added responsibilities after having conversations with us. And the latest data tells us that 46% of people have either had a new role in the organization or had a promotion or added responsibilities. And I think, you know, that's a great number. It's, it's yeah. almost one in two people, right? Yeah. The other interesting fact that I wanted to share, because we were really not thinking that, you know, people, were, people might leave. We, we knew that, you know, some people, for them, it could be a revelation, and they realize that I really want to do something different, and they will leave. So some people have left, and that data 
if I'm not mistaken, is at a 6% now. But if you look at that, very few people have really left. In fact, more people have found you know, roles internally. So it is hugely beneficial for the organization. And that fear that, oh, you know, everyone will leave you know, if they get coaching is ideally not true. Because people want to stay. They want to you know, do really good in this organization. And all they need is just the support. The other thing that we also uh, notice is that people who come and have conversations with us actually use our learning platforms a lot more. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, as we had more and more data, we started also seeing if people who come and talk to us have higher engagement scores in the engagement surveys, you know, that we run. And um, there's a bit of a mix, I would say. So people who come to us perhaps are not carrying a very positive outlook about their career in the beginning. So we've seen over years, as they speak to us, their outlook have changed. And it has come to what the organization is feeling overall. But I would still consider that a really great shift. And now, as the practice is maturing and evolving even more, and we have more people uh, utilize this, we're thinking we've not done this yet, but we can do some longitudinal studies and see well, what has been the, let's say, promotion history or uh, pay increment history of people you know, who've spoken to us? Was it one moment in time sort of uh, benefit that they got? Or are these benefits from these conversations more sustainable and they're able to hold on to it and utilize it for years to come? So we're really interested and curious about the data. We're making some plans to look at it. Yeah, that is super interesting because the need for longitudinal studies, even looking at kind of control peer groups who aren't attending the coaching would absolutely be fantastic. But you're, you're way ahead, right, having already built this program. As we talk about internal, just kind of three summary questions here. I mean, you've touched on a lot of aspects, but for you over this five years, what was the biggest aha moment? Yeah. If I can take a moment to reflect think how capable people are. And sometimes we underestimate that, especially in organizational setup. Maybe, you know, Michael, you and I are coaches and we have that true belief that, yes, people are wise, they're resourceful, they know what's best for them. But that has been proved over and over again, I would say with every conversation, that people know what's good for them. Mm. So... <laughs> I would sometimes urge that just let them be. They know what they need. They know where they want to go. Well, stop right. telling them. Just yeah. support them. Right. So that's my biggest aha moment, I would say. Yeah, less directive and give them the space and, yeah. and the prompts and the support. And, and this is a part for, for anyone out there, whether they've got an internal coaching program or they may be you know, in their company or not. For those that you found got the most out of it, and this may be somewhat you know, subjective, but you know, an end of 1,000 engagements that you've personally overseen in the program, you know, what would what does someone need if they're moving into a coaching engagement as the coachee? What would be one piece of advice you'd give to get the most out of it? Yeah. And I think what I've noticed from experience is that 
all you need is an appetite to try a new way. And I'm calling this new because a lot of people are not used to this. For them, it is not the conventional method. And if we look at the global in a population, there are different cultural contexts. Maybe we can talk about that a little later. But people still wait to be directed, sometimes to be told, and uh, to be led. And when that doesn't happen, sometimes they get frustrated. Mm. So they should know going in that they're not going to be told what to do. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's very frustrating because sometimes the people say, I need someone to tell me, just tell me. But if they're willing to experiment a little bit, if they're willing to try that, well, let me just spend 45 minutes or 60 minutes and see if there is something concrete, tangible, that I can walk out of this session with, which allows me to steer my career in the direction that I want to. And I'll tell this because, Michael, I, I have, you know, conversations, and maybe you do as well, people who've spent, let's say, 12, 15 years, and they're really wondering, how did I get here? I didn't do this consciously. This happened to me by chance. So that is the thing. I mean, if you really want to, you know, get to the driver's seat, you'll perhaps, you know, have to, you know, have that appetite to experiment a bit mm-hmm. to take the unconventional route. And this is going to become conventional in some more years is my prediction that everyone's yeah. going to, you know, go through some sort of coaching, either provided by coaches like us or, you know, by their own managers, or maybe, you know, they'll hire an external coach and say, just coach me. This is going to become like super mainstream. But for now, if you just, you know, take that road not taken. Yeah. So the ability also, you mentioned experimenting, but space to do some introspection and self-reflection yeah. as to what would help you. And, and the last part was from a company's perspective, because you have learned a lot. You said you've iterated, experimented with it. Is there one piece of advice for you know, leaders out there who are thinking, hmm, maybe I should set up internal coaching within my company? Any piece of advice based on your learnings? Yeah. And I think from the experience that I had, often we start thinking about why this might not work out. And that's the nature of the human brain, right? I mean, the research tells us that there's a negativity bias and we are always trying to mitigate all of that. We're spending an awful amount of time just exploring why this might not work. If we consciously spend the same amount of time just brainstorming why this might work, you will have a very compelling proposition to do this in every organization is what I imagine. (laughs) So getting people to think about, as we like to say, going from that anxious brain to the curious brain mindset, which which creates more possibility and expansion. Abhijit, you have very unique background as you are based in India, although you coach very heavily in Europe employees there in Asia, as well as the States, incredibly global. So I wanted to touch and shift gears a little bit about some of your reflections, because I think your perspective is very unique. Most of the coaching industry is based in the States and in Europe. Having coached so many individuals from across the globe, big, sample, diverse, what have you learned in terms of differences between 
regions or how you coach individuals between regions? I know you've got some interesting perspectives on this. I'm a part of the ICF community of practice coaching science, which is really about new research that is emerging in this space. And as a part of that, I was hosting Professor David Clutterbuck, who is, you know, legend, Mm -hmm. a pioneer in this area. So he said something very interesting. And he said, more than democratizing, we need to decolonize coaching. (laughs) And what he really meant was that, like you said, a lot of coaching, framework, theory, practices, whatever, the philosophy has emerged from the West. Uh, But there are different other philosophies in different parts of the world. And so if we really have to make coaching global and, you know, have everyone leverage the advantages of it, we need to consider how people might benefit from coaching in different parts of the world. Or even better, how to approach coaching. Mm. Now, as I've coached uh, people in different countries, like let's say Japan, Malaysia, Indonesia, East Asia or Southeast Asia, what I've noticed is that their expectations from coaching is a little different. Only because, you know, how they see the figure of the coach and not just a coach, but, you know, what's the image or the persona of a coach in their mind. And Michael, because you have Asian roots, you perhaps you know, would relate to this, that there is a power distance. A coach in the East, you know, could mean someone enlightened, someone, you know, who shows the way. But in the West, that power distance is not so huge. And they look at the coach more as a partner, and which is the definition, co-creating partnership and, you know, very important parts of the definition. Now, also, if you look at this analogy, in the West, you know, it perhaps is someone, you know, who's, you're in the driver's seat, but someone who's sitting right next to you and is asking you to see things as you drive. In the East, it's a, it's a bit more like a Sherpa. Mm. So you are climbing a hill. The Sherpa is not going to tell you exactly, you know, where to put each step. But the Sherpa knows the way. He or she has some accountability to help you get there where you want to be. And that's the subtle difference. No one's really looking for, I think, instructions or instructional advice for that matter. But the way they look at coaching is that you will know to take me where I want to be. And that's really the subtle difference. The other one that I've experienced personally is that in the West, you know, people have a very clearly defined goal. And the GROW model, right? I mean, that's what it says. Goal, reality, options, way forward. So the framework rests on the belief that people will come to the conversation with a goal in their mind. In the East... Perhaps, you know, it's about R-G-O-W. We talk about the reality first because it's a high-context culture, right? So we talk about this is what's happening right now. And perhaps basis that what should be my goal. If we are able to figure that out, the confidence is there that we will know what the options and the way forward looks like. 
But we really need to untangle the reality, perhaps. That's the first step. And from there, distilling what goal would help me move forward. Mm. So those are, you know, some differences. Yeah, so it sounds like your clients in Asia, there's much more exploration. Yeah. And then sometimes less goal-oriented than the West. Yeah. And also some of this power distance shows up a little bit more with the the Asian clients. Yeah. Fascinating. And and I'm, you know, this whole discussion is contributing to what is very much, I think, a a Western construct, at least the industry as it exists now in coaching. So I think those are quite interesting. So I'm looking forward not only to your research from mining the data from your company, but also additional reflections because I don't see as many coaches from Asia. And that's one of the reasons why it's great to have you here on the podcast. As we come to a close, Abhijit, you know, you're writing some of the things that you have alluded to. What has been, in terms of kind of coaching in this field of learning development, the biggest influence on you? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, I, I, when I shifted from learning and development, and I was primarily in leadership development, I used to do these workshops, <laughs> Michael, where I would personally, I would facilitate, but there was a large part of telling leaders what is good for them and really switching that off and now allowing people to take the lead on what they think you know, is best for them and I just holding the space for them, reflecting what I'm hearing, allowing them to bloom in the moment. I think that that's been the greatest shift and... Um, that's also had a huge influence, not just on the professional who I am, because I'm sure you know you would agree with me that coaching is a way of living. So it's got a huge impact on me as to who I am as a person as well. And one person who's really influenced me in a way, and I've never met her, I would love to meet her you know, someday. Her name is Marion Franklin, and she wrote this book, The Heart of Laser-Focused Coaching. Huh. And... When I first saw the title of that book, I thought it must be about laser coaching. You know, you coach for 15 minutes and you do wonders. <laughs> but as I read the book, it was more about laser-focused coaching, which means how do you quickly dive deep and really create that great awareness with the hope that, you know, it will lead to the shift and the change that the, that the person's looking for. So I think, you know, that book has been really a huge influence on me. Yeah. So shifting from that consulting directive mindset to the coaching inquiry-based mindset, laser-focused coaching, we'll put that in the show notes. Abhijit, how do people best see your articles about football and leadership, learn more about you as a coach, and what you guys are doing at S&P Global? Yeah, so... One source and one-stop shop to reach me is LinkedIn. All my articles are there. I don't run any separate blogs. I published everything on LinkedIn. And it's a good question. I mean, how do people know more about, you know, what's happening at S&P Global? And one of the things that has happened in these last three and a half, four, or how many ever years, is that we've been mentioned in Harvard Business Review in mm-hmm. articles Gartner has done a case study on us 
as how we have made the employee value proposition more human-centered. So I think in the heart of the pandemic, they did a global study, and out of 72 organizations, they picked eight that were really transforming the employee value proposition and making it more human-centered for people. We were really fortunate to uh, get you know picked by them, so they ran an entire case study on us. So a lot about our program is out there as well. And yeah, if anyone wants to know more and just would want to pick up brains as to what are the mistakes they shouldn't do, because we've done some of them and, you know, we've learned from it. So we're more than happy to, you know, kind of talk to them about this. Yeah, I know how passionate you are about this and the whole coaching community, your involvement in ICF as an ambassador also representing and bringing ideas uh, from your global perch in India. So it is an emerging field. It is going mainstream. It's extremely exciting. So thank you for sharing your insights today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michael, for having me over. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.